Judges 9. We got another big chapter, but we're not going to read all of it. We'll read a portion of it. Uh, I just started reading and just got a quarterly journal called The Mockingbird. And it's a fascinating journal. I just read the first couple entries. I gave it to my son. He's reading some of it now, and I'm going to get it back from him wherever you are. I want it back, Cal. Uh, Jim O'Connor tells the story in this journal. He grew up in a Christian home in the buckle of the Bible belt, he said. He said he had great parents. They loved him well. He said he grew up knowing the Jesus story, that he actually knew Jesus died for his sins before he knew the capital of the state he lived in. But in college, though, he got hooked on pornography. He said that the sexual beauty of women was intoxicating. It was like his drug. It became his high. Uh, It gave him a rush of comfort, pleasure, and connection, a sense of intimacy. He says he kept going back because he was filled with that delusion that this time the void in my life is going to get filled. Uh, His sexual addiction, though, destroyed his relationships with other women, and particularly a girl named Maggie, whom he thought and wanted to marry. And as she broke up with him and is driving away, it finally got his attention, and this is what he said as he's documenting his story in this journal. I didn't know if I would ever see her again, but as her taillights disappeared, it wasn't just the fear of losing Maggie uh, forever that shook me. It was the certain knowledge that without real change, there never would be another relationship to lose. Absent help, my addiction was going to strip away everything and everyone and leave me for dead. Sometimes we need deliverance from what we think will deliver us. Uh, Cindy, that's not this person's real name, she struggled with a particular sin, she said, for more than 10 years. And she knew that it was wrong, but she couldn't break free no matter what she tried and no matter what she did. She said her conscience would plague her with reminders of her sins. Every time she got near uh, to pray, got near to God, wanted to pray to God, wanted to read his word, her conscience would just get plagued with, what about this and what about that and you do this and you do that, how... How can you approach God? And so it, it fueled her belief that she wasn't good enough for God. It fueled her belief that God didn't want anything to do with her because of her struggle. And so Cindy lived in this realm of self-torture day after day after day after day. Sometimes we need to be delivered from what we think will deliver us. Uh, Our passage today, we find Israel needing to be delivered from their deliverer. We find this really, really strange situation where Israel needs deliverance from an anti-deliverer. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. I'll be reading from Judges, chapter 9, verses 1 through 21, and chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerobel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerobel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. 
And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the son of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on, the, on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as is deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shemir. After him arose Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years, and he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities, called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Camon. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit, and we ask that you would fill us with both today. Uh, may, you, may you ride on the wings of your word into our hearts, Lord. May you draw us up and lift us up. May you shine on the page. May you do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, that was Brent Bankston. Uh, his wife said he couldn't have candy and he left screaming. All right, what in the world is an anti-deliverer? What is an anti-deliverer? Look at verses one and two. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, Gideon, that's Gideon. Remember, that's Gideon's name. Remember, that's his name that was given because he conquered Baal. So it's interesting that the author goes back to putting that name in there at this point to describe Abimelech went to Shechem to his mother's relatives, said to them, to the whole clan of his mother's clan, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that the 70, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and I am your flesh. Israelite leadership in judges is based on God's call. God calls a leader to be a judge. Every judge in judges is called by God. 
Every judge and judges is given a special revelation from God in some way through a prophet, through direct words, through a dream, through some way that they are called to be the deliverer or the leader judge, the leader savior. Every judge and judges is sought by God. None are self-sought until now. Abimelech is the first Israelite leader and judges to take leadership for himself. The first leader and judges to grasp power for himself. Those of you that know that, that great theologian that's consumed our culture and our books and our movies for the past 10 years, that dark theologian, him whom we must not speak, Lord Voldemort, he says, there is no good and there is no evil. There's only power. Abimelech grasps for power. One judge's scholar says that in Abimelech, we see a man who feels that whatever he will get out of life, he'll have to get for himself. Have you ever felt that way? Man, if I don't get this, if I don't look out for me. I remember feeling that many times when I was planting this church. Man, if I don't look out for my family, who's going to? Right? The desire for power is in Abimelech's bones. Do you know what his name literally means? My father is king. <laughs> but wait, was his father king? No, we know that. No, Gideon was not king, not in his theology, remember? They wanted to make him king, and Gideon said, no, that is not correct theology. That's unorthodox. God alone is king. I will not be king. But we know in his heart functionally he lived like he was king he wanted to be his own king right and so Gideon teaches us something incredible about how to do theology how to do doctrine how to do biblical truth the goal of theology the goal of of doing doctrine and doing theology is not affirmation it's not an intellectual ascent. It's not having just the propositions and the data all in order. It's not just knowing five points of Calvinism and being able to argue it with anybody that wants to argue it with you. It's not being able to argue the Trinity. The goal of theology is internalization. Believing it and working it deep down to your bones that it actually starts rearranging how you think and how you see reality and what you desire and trust and love and worship. It makes a difference in your life. It impacts your relationships. It impacts the way we do what we do here. It fuses into the, our careers and our marriages and our parenting and our whatever God calls us to, right? True theology, I want you to think of it this way. True theology, biblical truth, is like a sponge. And it's soaked with light and life and power in it. When you do theology, you're squeezing it. And it's releasing light and life and power into your life and you get soaked. Gideon never got soaked by his theology that God is king. And so now he has a son that comes along and says, I don't even care about the theological correctness of it. I'm king. 
Abimelech is the first anti-delivery. You know what that means? Here's what it means. He's a non-divinely sanctioned leader. He is a self-appointed deliverer. Here's the craziest part about the Abimelech story. You see that? Here it is. The people want him. The people actually want an anti-deliverer. Do you see that? I mean, look in verse 6. All the leaders of Shechem came together, all in Bethmill. They went out. They made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Now, as I was going through this, I was like, oh, man, I... Maybe Shechem is just not spiritually formed. Maybe they're spiritually ignorant. Maybe they didn't have Christian education. Remember, they didn't get catechized as kids. Maybe they didn't understand the ways of God. Maybe they lacked. They're unchurched people. Maybe that's what it is. And I, I tried to. And then I started investigating the significance of Shechem. Do you know how significant Shechem is? Do you know where Shechem first shows up in the Bible? 400 years earlier. You know what happened? It's Shechem 400 years earlier. God shows up to a guy named Abram at Shechem and says, this place that you're standing is mine. And this is a first piece of real estate that's going to be called the promised land. Abram worshiped God for the first time at Shechem. When Israel got into the promised land as a nation, they worshiped God for the first time at Shechem. And so the reasons why Shechem rejected God as king and so easily relied on their own efforts, in this case, Abimelech be king, uh, it's not as complicated as we think. Our reasons for why we do reject God, whether we do it theologically outright and say, I'm king, or whether we do it in terms of functionally, we just don't internalize the doctrine, God is king, whatever it is, it's far less complicated. You know what the answer is? We want to be king. We want to control our own life. We need people to need us. We need people to depend on us for guidance, for answers, for approval, for help. We want to be an anti-deliverer. I want you to go back to Jim O'Connor. He, he, what was so powerful about this anti-deliverer in his life called pornography is that he wanted it. It's not that he didn't want it, it's that he wanted it. That's why it was so powerful. Jim looked at pornography to deliver him, to be a cosmic comfort, to be a panacea or a cure-all of all pleasure. He looked to it for source beauty. He looked to it for redeeming intimacy a deep sense of personal connection. Because Jim said it was, he did so to fill the void. And so pornography was Jim's deliverer. It was his anti-deliverer. And sometimes we need to be delivered from what we look to or think will deliver us. Can an anti-deliverer actually deliver? That's the question of the text. Nine's trying to answer that. Can an anti-deliverer deliver you? Can it give you what it promises? Can an anti-deliverer release blessing into your life? Can it unleash power upon you? Can it fill you up and complete you? Can it fill the void in your life? Well, this is where Jotham comes in, and Jotham's the only son of Gideon that's left. So 70 sons have been whittled down to one through family murder or family cleansing. Jotham's real name was interesting. You've got Abimelech's name, 
son of a king. Then you got Jotham. You know what his name means? God is perfect. God is paradise. Perfect power. Perfect pleasure. Perfect love. Perfect beauty. God is brighter than the sun. And you have these two names that are giving you two contrasting ways of looking at the world. And so what Jothan ends up doing in the story is he ends up giving a lens or an interpretation of reality that's outside the bounds of an anti-deliverer. In other words, it's God actually releasing light and life and a true reality into this situation. And so what Jotham does is he learns about Abimelech's crowning ceremony. So he climbs a mountain that's right next to it called Mount Gerizim. He puts on his preaching voice because he's going to have to really boom it to get down to everybody that's down below him. And then he tells the tale of the talking trees. Talking trees? That's got to be the inspiration for the tree ants in the Lord of the Rings. Don't you think so? Talking trees! I mean, do you remember what Gimli said about talking trees in the Lord of the Rings? Talking trees, what would trees have to talk about except the consistency of squirrel droppings? In Jotham's story, though, these trees, these trees are talking about kingship. They're talking about, they're talking about the worth and the work of a king. What kingship releases blessing? What kingship breaks you down? Burns it all. Torches everything. That's why I kind of debated whether we should have that, the tale of the talking trees in there or not, but we needed to see that or go to the action. I went with the tale. We'll look at the action later. Now look at verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. Abimelech rules for three years and he burns down everything in his path. Verse 45, Abimelech fought against the city. All that day, that Shechem, he captured the city, he killed the people who were in it, and he raised the city and sowed it with salt. Abimelech kills every man, woman, and child in that city. The last 1,000 run to hide in a tower, and he burns it to the ground, literally. And he's not done. This is what an anti-deliverer does. An anti-deliverer destroys everything. He even goes to the soil and pours salt all over it so that soil will never grow a crop again. It'll never produce life again. An anti-deliverer can only burn it all. Now, friends, please don't miss this. Abimelech destroys the very people who wanted him to be their deliverer. This is what anti-deliverers do. They burn it all to the ground and then they go into the soil and burn everything that lives. Sometimes we need to be delivered from what we think will deliver us. And now Israel needs to be delivered from their deliverer. First time in the history of judges that ever happened. Okay, so what's the message? Judges 9. Well, sometimes we need to be delivered from what we think will deliver us. That's the message. But what's the, what's the payback value on Monday morning? As I've talked with some of you. Okay, well, what, is Mon- what does this look like on Monday morning? I get up Monday morning, 
What does that have to do with Monday morning? Well, first of all, some of you know exactly what your anti-deliverer is this morning. Right now you're talking, I'm talking, and you got it. You know what your anti-deliverer is that you need to be delivered from. You know because you've known for a long time. This is not new news. You came with it on the forefront of your mind, on the forefront of your heart. You can't shake it. You've struggled with it for a long time. You failed again and again because of it for a long time. It's brought despair into your life again and again for a long time. You've tried everything again and again for a long time. Nothing's worked. So when you look at Monday morning, you see a prison. You see the same cycle of self-torment, the same cycle of pain, guilt, Try to draw near to God. Feel guilty because you can't shake it. You feel God doesn't want you around. You can't connect to him. Please, this is what I want you to hear from me. Your hope and your deliverance, your hope and your deliverance is not gonna be found in your effort to figure this thing out. It's not gonna be found in your effort to fix it to control it or change it. It's not gonna be found in anything you do. So I know this is really, really hard, but Martin Lloyd-Jones used to talk to pastoral care. People would come to talk to him. He says, I'm gonna tell you to do the hardest thing that you're ever gonna do. And, and, he, and they look at him like, okay, what, what? How are you gonna fix me? How are you gonna help me? And this is what he said, refuse to think about yourself. What? Yeah. Refuse to think about yourself. Here's the deal. Your help and your hope is going to be found in 10, 1 through 5 and a lucky rock. So you got to hold on for a second and we're going to get there. But right now, what I want you to know, because I know what's happening because I do it myself, you and I will get locked into trying to figure it out and fix it and control it and change it. And what you do is you just create a vortex of pain upon pain because you can't. You're not the deliverer. Others of us, this is what we need to do on Monday morning. We need to say, you need to wake up and you need to say, give thanks to God. Why do we need to give thanks to God for anything good that happens in your life? What do you mean, Jeff? This is what I mean. Look at, when you look at 9, chapter 9, do you see the word capital L-O-R-D at all in that chapter? The answer is, let me answer for you. No, you don't. That means Yahweh. You know what that means? That's Yahweh. Yahweh or capital L-O-R-D is God's personal covenantal name in action towards a certain kind of person or people. It's it's his hesed or his rescuing love and grace and mercy and power on the move, actively at work towards a certain kind of people, messed up people, not good people, messed up people, people that need delivering. Here's what I want you to see. Lord is missing in chapter 9. Chapter nine is what happens when the Lord is missing in a chapter or a marriage or a family or a church or a community or anything. So you and I can thank God on Monday morning for every good thought, feeling, action, behavior, 
we do or someone else does on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday and Saturday and Sunday too. You can thank God if you actually love and serve another person instead of loving and serving yourself that day or for a moment or for a, a block of time period between three and six o'clock when all heck is breaking loose in your home with the kids, right? Whenever you hear laughter and joy in your home, you can thank God. Whenever your church leadership, whenever church leaders are not grasping for power, but are working as a team, united around a gospel vision, driven by grace, passion, unified over that, working together like a band of brothers over that, wanting to see redemptive gospel growth purposes in their life, their family's life, and a congregation's life. Oh, my word. You can thank God for that. Because without God, chapter nine. Without Hesed, Abimelech. Burn it all. If you have church members and parents and husbands and wives and teenagers and coaches and nurses and musicians and teachers and engineers and plumbers, anyone accepting that they're weak and trusting in the strength of God, you can thank God for that. Because anything good that happens in this chapter or in our lives, God alone only does. He alone reconciles relationships. He alone changes lives. He alone causes anything good to happen. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's one thing we can do on Monday morning. Sometimes we need to be delivered from what we thought will deliver us. So what does this look like on Monday morning? Look at 10, 1 through 3. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pura, poor guy, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, isn't this interesting? What, what did we know about Ephraim? Remember, those are the guys that got so upset that Gideon did not call them to go to the, to the battle, to the fight, and so they missed out on the glory of victory, and they were hacked at Gideon. And so the next deliverer comes out of there. Why? Because God wanted to, by grace, right? And then look at the next one. Then he died was buried in Shamir. After him rose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel for 22 years. Now here's what's happening. There are two patterns in judges that are broken here. There are two things that happen here that have never been seen in judges yet. The first one is this. No Israelite cries out to God in their pain. What's the pattern? Go through that pattern and we get down to misery and what happens after misery and pain? crying out then after crying out a deliverer well we saw one time that was that was broken up and we had a prophet a sermon was given instead so this is the first time israel does not cry out to god in their misery this is a broken bone and a skeletal structure of judges this is huge no one in israel seeks god zero movement not a prayer not a petition, not a thought, not a cry for help. This is an all-time 
spiritual low in Israel. Second broken pattern is look at Tola and Jair's deliverance. What are they delivering Israel from? Jair and Tola are not delivering Israel from a foreign oppressive enemy like has been the pattern up until now. So who are they delivering Israel from? Israel. Themselves. This is the first time that a foreign power isn't the oppressor. Israel is their worst enemy. Ultimately, you and I are the worst anti-deliverers in our lives. Ultimately, what you and I need to be delivered most from is you and I, ourselves. Now, watch what happens here. It's absolutely fascinating. We go to the lowest depths, right? Grace now goes to an unthinkable depth never before seen in Judges. Israel does not cry out for God. God delivers them. Israel does not seek God in any way. God delivers them. Israel completely abandons God. God delivers them. Israel completely rejects God and says we want an anti-deliverer. God delivers them. Israel ultimately becomes their own anti-deliverer. God delivers them. Absolutely sheer, raw grace. Unearned. It's not worked for. It's not performed for. It's not merited. It's demerited. Rescuing love. Rescuing mercy. Power in action towards messed up people. Here's how we're going to end. Contrary to popular theology today and popular music, I find it really fascinating that the music my kids are listening to is the music I listen to. I find that really fascinating. I don't know. Maybe our music is the best. Who knows, right? And contrary to popular music, contrary to popular romance in books and in the movies, contrary to it all, you do not find love. Love always finds you. I mean, that's just the way God set it up. God, God goes after you. God's love finds you. We love because he first loved us and the world turns on it. Every relationship, every marriage, even though we think we find it, it finds you. How does this fire-breathing dragon of a man, Abimelech, isn't that what he is? I mean, good night, he's coming, he's burning everything. He's like a dragon, he's burning everything. Nobody can stand up against him. You have this guy, Gael, gets into a drunken stupor and he thinks, ah, I can take him. He gets wiped out. Nobody can stand up to him. How does this guy ultimately get defeated? How is Israel finally delivered from this anti-deliverer? How does it happen? I mean, I envision, like in the movies, I envision someone Goliath-like coming out, you know, 
go ahead, make my day. That kind of thing, right? I'll be back. Something like that. You know how it happens? 20, 52 and 53, and Abimelech came to the tower. This is in the city of Thebes, and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed it. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be sexist. I'm not trying to be anything, but okay. But it's got to be a stone that this woman can lift. So it's not going to be a heavy stone, too heavy, right? I mean, who wants to exert that much energy anyway? And you've got to get it over the top of a tower, so who knows how far you're going. Okay, she pushes a stone off the tower, and she strikes his head. And this is the killing blow. A woman with a lucky rock beats the anti-deliverer. It's so pathetic. It's an accidental salvation. I mean, it's almost like this anti-deliverer is so small, so weak, so nothing before God. God doesn't even want to give him his attention. He doesn't even want to, he's just like, it's so beneath him. And he says, let a rock handle this one. But when it came to delivering you from yourself, he sends his son. He sends the prince of all princes, the Lord of all lords, the king of all kings. So on Monday morning, what are you going to do? This is what you're going to do. You're going to go into whatever dark room you have, wherever that is for you, and you're going to flip the switch of the light of the Son of God into that room. Why? Because what happens when lights, unless you've got a broken bulb and the, and the light fixture is shorted, if you turn on a light switch, what happens to the darkness in the room? I mean, it's so elementary, right? It, it's driven out. It doesn't have a chance to the light. It flees from the light's presence. That image is used over and over in John when the light came into the world and the darkness could not overtake it. The darkness was driven out of it. And so on Monday morning, you go up and you flip the switch. And what you do is you flip the switch on his victory, on his forgiveness, on his righteousness, on the finished work of Christ for you, that that's where you stand. You are always accepted and approved, always loved. You are never not. And so that means the only way you're going to deal with those issues in your life that you need to deal with or you need help in dealing with, the only way you're going to be able to deal with it is recognize, my word, I already have what I'm looking for. I'm already okay. And I'm as okay as I'm ever going to be and ever will be. And then you get up and you stop thinking about yourself. You stop worrying about yourself. You stop trying to figure it out. You stop trying to fix it. You stop trying to control it. You stop trying to change it. You get on and live your life. Amen.